Welcome to the addendum, a thing added. On this podcast, Pastor Eric Williams will add to, clarify, and supplement the most recent teachings at Fellowship Renewed Church. We covered an incredible amount of ground on Sunday. And it was a wonderful time spent with you, and I think the perfect way to spend our Christmas Eve, talking about Jesus and his connection with David, the Davidic covenant, and all that was to come through that. Uh, An incredible thing to see from the scriptures. And and that's kind of what we did, isn't it? As we looked at essentially the entirety of the Tanakh, that is our Old Testament, And we asked, how can we see not only the Davidic covenant here, but how do we see Jesus? That's the whole point, the Messiah, in the covenants and the promises of redemption. How do we see Jesus there? And not only how do we, it's not really the question of how do we uh, put Jesus there, but instead it's how is God revealing Jesus to us? through these true events, okay? So it's intentional, and that that point I need to make very clear is that this was an intentional thing on God's part to show us in an ever-increasing and narrowing, uh, in a narrowing way, a narrowing scope of who Jesus is as we walk through the narrative of the entire Old Testament, and in particular the covenants and the promises of redemption all along. I hope that the summary of the Tanakh was helpful to you. Uh, I think that is incredibly helpful. Some of those things and some of those summaries, I'll have to tell you, um, really came together for me as I was putting those together. Uh, I had never summarized things in that way before, but it became clear to me as I was taking different parts, pieces, and, and seeing them Uh, in this full story, and some pieces became more clear for me as I was preparing this week. And so that summary is is not a way that I had summarized things before. And so it was very, uh, very helpful to me and encouraging to me in the scriptures to see um, that this one story of God, it just, it continues uh, to have so much depth, insight, and meaning for us. Now, one place that I told you I wanted to focus was on the Psalter itself. And the Psalter, the collection of the Psalms, is arranged in a particular way, and it's on purpose. And you can see Psalms 1 and 2 as an introduction to the Psalms altogether. And then, essentially, you kind of start Book 1 uh, at, at that point of the Psalms, and it and it takes us on different... Uh, a different, a, a different narrative structure of its own, and uh, of course, I'm not the only one to see this. I'm not the first one to see this. Certainly, uh, in my summary of the Psalms is a modified version of someone else's. It's not entirely the same, uh, but of O. Palmer Robertson, and he talks a lot about how the Psalms have an historical, redemptive shape to them. So the very shape of the Psalter as they were collected and arranged, it's telling us something. And as I told you, that it, it's telling us essentially about the rise and fall of the Davidic kingdom 
And Psalm 110 lands in that in a in a in a in an amazing way. And remember that Psalm 110:1, most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. And I believe that's for a reason. And uh, I wanted to talk just a little bit more about that with you today, a little bit about the Psalms today. So uh, here was the summary that I gave you on Sunday, and it was so quick, uh, but uh, luckily we can spend a little bit more time there today. Here is the summary of the Psalms, how the Davidic covenant and the Psalter are related to one another. Okay, David uh, is the author, first of all, of 73 of the Psalms, uh, if you didn't know that. Uh, So some of these are by David, but many of these others are not by David, and so they're not in a a chronological order where all the Psalms of David are there, maybe longest to shortest, or, or you put them in chronological order things of David's life that happened earliest to latest stages, but that's not it either. So there's a reason for why they're arranged the way they're arranged. So in in Psalms 1 through 41, or you could say 3 through 41 if you take Psalms 1 and 2 as an introduction, you see a confrontation with the enemy, okay? Psalm 2, 6 through 12, listen to what it says. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. And blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now that's already in Psalm 2, and it will continue uh, this way, uh, right? Taking Psalms 1 through 41 as this general confrontation with, uh, with the enemy. But you can hear it here, right? God has his king, and that is set in contrast to kings of the earth. I have my king in Zion on my holy hill. Now all you kings of the earth, be warned. Now, do you think only kings of the earth should be warned? Or do you think that all people of the earth should be warned that there is one true king? So quite obviously, everyone should be warned that we should all serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. So there you have set up immediately that there are there is God's kingdom and then there are any any other kingdoms that you might be a part of and, and, and those are in opposition to one another. So I hope you see that. So that's the conflict there right up front. And then there is in the second section, Psalms 42 through 72, there is communication from the kingdom of God uh, to all the others, all those who oppose, not only the rulers of those who oppose, but all who oppose. It says in Psalm 52, 5, But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Okay, so what is this? That That's a, a warning to everyone who would not bow down to God's kingdom. So there's the reality of these kingdoms that are fighting against one another. And then there's communication to the enemy, basically a warning saying that if you don't bow down to the one true king, 
you should beware that God will break you down forever should you not obey and submit to him. But then you have a a sense of devastation by defeat, and that comes in Psalms 73 through 89. And this is very significant because we're thinking God has his kingdom and David is on that throne, right, of that kingdom. And unfortunately, this kingdom is failing. This kingdom is not seeing great success. But if this is God's kingdom and it's not seeing success, then we've got a big problem because God is failing. If he's allowing his king and his kingdom to fail, then the kingdom of God must not be very great after all. And so the people are devastated by this reality of defeat. Not only the people, David himself is devastated. So a few, uh, a few verses here. Psalm 79, 1 through 3. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem to ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the, blush of the, the flesh of your faithful to the beast of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. And so do you hear this, this devastation, this defeat? The nations have come. They've defiled your temple. They've laid your city to ruins. Your, the, servants, uh, the bodies of your servants are food for the birds of the heavens. Their blood is poured out like water. So in other words, we are your people. This is your kingdom. This is your temple. And everything is failing. How can this be? Psalm 89, 39, you have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. Psalm 89, 44, you have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. Psalm 89, 49, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? So do you hear it? That's devastation, isn't it? devastated, devastated by, by this defeat. Um, the people of God are left wondering what is to come of this. And if even God's anointed King David and the kingdom that would come after, if, if, if everything is just falling apart, how are we to understand that? Psalms 90 through 106 then bring about maturity they're defeated, they're devastated, but now they're going to have a sense of maturity brought through this. And quite honestly, isn't that how it works? Is that the Lord brings us to a particular place. Uh, He humbles us. He takes us down to the pit. He takes us into the valley of despair so that there's nowhere for us to look but up and it humbles us before the Lord. And through that process, what do we have? Well, maturity. This is where we learn to cling to the Lord. This is where our souls cry out to him. You know this not only from the scriptures, but from experience yourself. It is a grace of God that he helps us to see our own devastation and defeat should we rely on ourselves and not on the righteousness that he brings. Okay, so they experience a sense of maturity through their devastation. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, 
from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Okay, so there's kind of an, an admission there that we're realizing that you are our dwelling place. Even before the mountains were brought forth, before the world and the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God and there's nothing I can say about it. And my experiences don't change that. And that's pretty powerful. Is that we can go through all these different situations in life and we realize at a certain point that we can go through everything. We can go through the ups and downs and I hope that I find myself saying, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And whether I had bad experiences today, good experiences today, I experienced loss or suffering today, or joy and great contentment today. But from everlasting to everlasting, there is one thing that is true and remains regardless of my personal experience, and that is He is God. And that's a mature statement, isn't it? To be able to recognize that. So next, there is a, a realization of the kingdom, and that takes us to the end of the Psalms. A realization of the kingdom, Psalms 107 to 150. Now, I'd like to read both uh, references I have here, which is Psalm 95, 1 through 3 first. Psalm 95, 1 through 3. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. So that's, I just want to pause right there because that's one step beyond this, isn't it? It's one step to say, we've experienced devastation and defeat and you're, you're sunk low into the pit. But then next, what comes is a realization that God is God and worthy to be praised because of who he is, regardless of our experiences. But the next step beyond that is to pour out our praise to him for who he is. That's, that's a, that's a step above, isn't it? There, there's a recognition and a maturity, but what presses us beyond that then is to give God the praise for who he is. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. So although we had an earthly king and maybe many earthly kings that have failed us, we see now that our God has never failed us. God never forsakes us. He is always there, and in fact, if we can be mature about it, what we're realizing is that we were the ones that failed him, and he has never once failed us. Never once. But instead, he has been consistent in his character. He has been a merciful God. He has been a God full of grace and truth. Now, he is a God of justice. He is a God of wrath. But he never ceases being the complete fullness of his character. He is consistent in that. And we give him praise for being that God. So then you get to Psalm 110, 1 through 7, which we did spend a little bit, a little bit of time on, but let me just read it again. So this is a Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments for the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses, and he will shatter chiefs over the wide earth, and he will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Okay, so here we have the promise of a coming king. Now, this promise is not of David. Um, I just want to make sure we recognize that. It wasn't a promise uh, of David saying, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, it says specifically at the beginning of the psalm, Yahweh says to my Adonai, and it's almost as though David is a third party here to this conversation. I have Yahweh, and he's speaking to my Lord, and here's what Yahweh says to my Lord. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So God is saying this to someone that David is calling Lord, and that's what Jesus calls attention to in Matthew 22, right? Now, of the reference of David uh, and the law and the priesthood and and how all these work together. I, I did want to quickly reference here Hebrews 7, verses 11 through 22. So let me, let me just read that. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for if under, the people, under it people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one after the order of Aaron? For where there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of these, the for the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. Now let me read that again. First of all, because I messed it up when I read it, but second, because it's important. Verse thirteen: For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. What tribe is that? Verse 14 says, It is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with the tribe of Moses, nothing is said about priests. Okay, so uh, the author of Hebrews is telling us is that no one from the tribe of Judah has ever served at the altar or been a priest. Verse uh, 15, This becomes even more evident when another priest arises after the likeness of Melchizedek, who became a priest, not only on the basis of uh, legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. The law is made... Uh, nothing perfect, but on the one hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath, who said to him, The Lord has sworn, will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Okay, so uh, I, I did find it interesting, Matthew twelve three and 4. Just listen to this real quick. Matthew 12, 3 and 4. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? He entered the house of God, and he ate the bread of the presence. Okay, he he wasn't supposed to do that. And it says, Which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but only for the priests. In other words, of which he was not. Okay, so 
Now, did he do something, but yet he, it was okay for him to do? That's actually what Jesus is saying. What made it okay for him to do that? And it wasn't because he was a priest. Uh, but uh, that's a whole other situation. The, the point remains, what's being said here in two different passages is that, G, that uh, David, being of the tribe of Judah, no one has ever served at the altar from the tribe of Judah. That's what the author of Hebrews says. And if it had been true of David, then it would have said, but, in, but David did. Also, in Matthew, it says that uh, David did what was unlawful for him because he was not a priest. Okay, so what's being spoken of in Psalm 110 is quoted in Hebrews 7, uh, saying David was speaking of one to come who would be this priest forever, and it wasn't David. But he's going to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's not going to be descended from Levi or from Aaron, right? You had actually two couple of branches of priests, of which those from the tribe of Judah belong to none. But then we have Jesus come along, and he is a, a priest unlike those, and he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who was two things. This is amazing. He was uh, king of Salem, and he was priest of God Most High. Uh, that is Melchizedek. That's, that's so significant. It's pretty amazing. Salem, which would be Jerusalem, uh, which is basically the city of peace is what that word means. Uh, but even before it was that, there was someone who was king of this place, but then he was also a priest of God Most High. And then we have another one coming later who was not of the law of Israel, a priest, but he was a priest in another regard after the order of Melchizedek, who was also a king and a priest. Okay, so there's there's so many connections right there, right? And uh, so significant. Now, uh, I'm going to bring this to a close today. I just, I wanted to give that little bit more, I just wanted to give a little bit more information to that because we had to go so quickly through that on Sunday. I suppose we didn't have to, but I did go quickly, okay, through that, through that section. Uh, but there's so much information right there. Now, what's the, what's the whole point of this is that all of this was intentionally leading to Jesus. It's not by accident. It's not because God made a second plan, but God intended that there would be someone come from the line of David who would be that perfect prophet, priest, and king, son of God, who would live forever, his kingdom would never come to an end, that he would provide perfect peace and rest for his people, and he would give them everything they had ever longed for. So we, this is what we celebrate at Christmas, and I I hope you were able to see that and that you were able to take joy in it this Christmas season. Thank you for joining us on the Addendum Podcast. For more information about Fellowship Renewed Church, visit frcsparta.com. Please join us for next week's episode.